Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 2 through 16 uh, this morning. 2 through 16, I did not short you a verse. If, you re- if, you, if you'll remember, we did go into verse 1 last week, so I would never short you a verse like that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 2 through 16, as you're opening there, I would ask if you would please pray for me. Uh, I leave out tomorrow morning, uh, bright and early, to head on the road to Louisville, Kentucky, until Friday, where I'll be uh, in my first on-campus doctoral seminar at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'll be studying uh, preaching over the next three years, and uh, entirely so that I can force all of you to call me Dr. Alexander when this is over. And... uh, and so all of you who uh, wanted to say something when I was 26, you just get ready. You're going to have to call me Dr. Alexander now, too, right? And so, uh, of course, I'm kidding. I, I, the whole goal in this is for me to grow in my ability to, to bring you the Word every Sunday. And uh, so we rejoice in the way that First Baptist Church is blessing us with this opportunity. And uh, just pray, pray for me as I, as I go there and, and go to prepare for that. And Whitney will be home kids this week uh, with all that that entails so just pray for our family Uh, Woody will be uh, covering the pulpit on Sunday even though by God's grace I'll be back Uh, nonetheless I plan to be studying preaching and not preparing to preach this week and so uh, I felt like it would be better than me trying to put something together while I'm there I want to really focus on my studies and focus on my time there you'll be more blessed to hear from Woody Uh, and then two Sundays from now so not next Sunday but the Sunday after I'll be totally out of town so Woody's going to get to preach twice. He's a faithful preacher, great preacher. He's going to preach for us two Sundays in a row. It's always a blessing, Woody, when uh, I always hear good things uh, when I come home and even while I'm away. Uh, Whitney and the kids and I will be uh, two Sundays from now in Orlando, Florida, uh, paying our homage to a certain mouse there in Florida at Walt Disney World. So it's part of the kids' Christmas, and so we're going to do that. So we'll be away and uh, look, look forward to some time away. Thank you for the, granting us time away as we're going to be on vacation. I'll be studying, and Woody's in, is such a great preacher. He'll we'll be in good hands, but I kind of just want to let you all know where we'd be, what we'd be doing over the next couple of weeks. Well, if you have your Bibles open there to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 16, do me a favor and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, 
so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, we pray that you would lead us to be authentic repenters. And even now, God, I pray we would turn from our sins and turn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are days where I feel like it's my job. I, I mean, there are days when I feel like it's all I do to lead people in fake repentance. I mean, mean, there are days where I feel like it's my job to lead people to fake repentance. I've seen more sham remorse than you could ever imagine in my life. That's right, all the time I feel like I'm saying, yes, apologize to your brother right now. (laughs) Tell your mom you're sorry. Stop acting ugly to one another. Don't you feel bad for what you just did? And over and over and over again, I can tell you, I feel like it's my job to lead people in fake repentance. And if any of you are parents, any of you have been around children, any of you grandparents, any of you know kids at all, you know that we look at children sometimes and we can tell when they're repenting in a fake way. What we can tell when they're just trying to get off the hook. I'm sorry I bit you. Y'all know. That's mild. I can't say what really happens. I, I, I'm sorry. They, 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 they trudgingly come along and finally just to get me to hush will say they're sorry. And it, it's easy for us to judge our children and to judge others for their fake repentance. But let me ask you this question. What about you? What about your repentance? 
What about my repentance? So sometimes we find ourselves saying things like, if I'm going to stay married today, I better apologize. But I'm not going to be happy about it. I mean, I know what I did was wrong, but you know the only reason I did it is because what you did was wrong first. I know my sin. We're all human. But what about their sin? It's a little bit worse. The need of the day is repentance. The, the, the need of the day for the Lord's church and for the Lord's people is repentance. And, and something I want you to feel the weight of today is this. Christians are not one and done repenters. Just like we, we don't just put our faith in Jesus one time. We put saving faith in Jesus the first time, and we live the rest of our lives by grace through faith. In the same way, we repent of our sins before God the first time and receive His grace, but that is not the last time that a Christian repents. We are lifetime, lifelong, fervent, passionate repenters. This morning, I, I want to point you to three truths from this really amazing text to help you understand what authentic repentance looks like. I, I, re I really want you to begin to get a feel for what authentic, genuine repentance looks like. You'll remember, you, you, you'll remember some of the things about the situation that Paul finds himself in as we look at this. And, 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 and you'll see the way that Paul has encouraged repentance and now the way he's praising repentance as you look at the way this text flows. And yet this morning I do want to show you three points, three realities that show us what authentic, genuine repentance looks like in the life of the believer. Here's the first truth this morning. Hard truths lead to repentance. Hard truths lead to repentance. There's something I've noticed in the Lord's church over the past several years. And not just here, not just us, and not just myself, but all across the landscape of, of the Lord's church, I really have noticed something. I think we've gotten confused. And, and, and here's where I think we've gotten confused on. I think we've gotten confused about the difference between being offended and being convicted understand what I mean? I think we sometimes are convicted by the Holy Spirit for our sins. But if we're convicted by the Holy Spirit for our sins, we're a Christian enough to know that means we ought to do something about it. And the last thing we want to do is let go of our sins. And so I think what we've done is we've co-opted something from the world. And that's this idea of being offended. We, we, we get offended by the truth. We, we come up with ways to try to get out from under what the Holy Spirit is convicting us of in our hearts. We have found a way to avoid hard truth. We, we found a way to avoid hard truth. Now, many of you, I'm a millennial. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. I'm a millennial. Many of you are not millennials. And some of you are, but many of you are not. And I'm friends with y'all on Facebook. I know what you say about millennials. <laughs> you, 
you'll notice that I don't say anything about boomers on Facebook. Here's the reality. A lot of folks look at younger generations and think they're the only ones that ever get offended. They, they, they look at younger generations and think they're the snowflakes, they're the ones you can't say anything to, etc., etc. But brothers and sisters, that's not a millennial thing, that's a human thing. No, nobody likes to be told they're not right. Nobody enjoys being wrong. And I think we've found a way to sort of all become snowflakes that can't handle hard truth. Paul has written this paragraph in the context of a tense relationship with the Corinthians and a hard letter that he had sent to the Corinthians. And he's kind of built some tension with us earlier in the book over, over not hearing from Titus. He, he wanted a report. He wanted to know what happened at Corinth. How did they respond to the letter? And finally, Paul says, we did hear from Titus. We, we, we did hear from Titus. We see in verses 1 through 7, he, he, he recognizes, he, he ran into Titus finally. He, he, he brings back this argument he's made earlier about opening their hearts to him. And he says, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us how? By the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Paul confronted the Corinthians with hard truth. And if we're going to be a people who embraces hard truths, if we're going to be a people who are willing to be confronted over our sins, we must create a culture in which we confront one another in godly ways. And one thing we've got to recognize when it comes down to confronting people with hard truth is that confrontation is never relished. Confrontation is never relished. I think some folks, and I've seen this, and I think this is true of a lot of preachers and a lot of folks who are Christians, some folks just love, they just love to confront folks. Folks just love to be bold with others. Now some of these folks that like to be bold with others, I sometimes wonder when the last time they had a hard confrontation in the mirror was. When was the last time you talked to yourself about these things? But nonetheless, folks love to be bold with others. Some do. And yet we see here, some, some people use Paul as an excuse to be ungodly toward others over their sin. And here Paul says, I did not relish confronting you in this way. I, I did not want to do it and I grieved over the letter. And now I don't precisely because of the way you responded. You see, that's the other thing is we cannot relish confrontation, but every one of us must be open to hard truth. We must open our hearts to be confronted with difficulty. Open and, and ready to receive it. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but why? But because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. 
Paul says, Titus told him of their longing, their mourning, their zeal for him, so he rejoiced all the more. The Corinthians were open to hear difficult truths. And it led them to repentance. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life do you have that loves you enough to confront you? Who in your life do you have that loves you enough to confront you? And second of all, do you have the sort of heart? Have you prepared yourself before God? Where there's someone in your life who loves you enough to confront you and that you won't torch the relationship with them if they do? Who have you invited into your life to tell you hard things? You need someone to do that. You need someone who can tell you the hard things you can't see about yourself, and perhaps not just your spouse. Someone else as well. Now, over the years, I have folks who will do that, who will do that in love. I've encountered people over the years who have taken it upon themselves to do that without my request or permission. And uh, even in the times when it was the nastiest and the most difficult and the worst, what I would try to do, and I didn't always do this perfectly, what I would try to do is I would take that to the people who I knew I could trust and who loved me no matter what, and I would say, this is the critique that I got in a letter or on a Facebook post or whatever else. And I would say, help me know what in this is true. What in this do I need to apply? A young man who's in ministry the other day, he uh, was really being unfairly criticized. I would say really unfairly criticized over a situation, and he was pretty much in the right. But I said, you've, you've still got to stop it, and, and you've still really got to evaluate this and, and see what God is teaching you. Because here's the reality. If uh, you were as bad as they say you are, you wouldn't have a job. But if you were as good as you think you are, you wouldn't be in this situation. And so you need to stop and evaluate this and figure out what in this is true. Who is there in your life? who loves you enough to confront you, and have you created an atmosphere where someone who loves you and cares about you can? Hard truths lead to repentance. But second of all, godly grief leads to repentance. Godly grief leads to repentance. I think the casserole's done. And uh, Godly grief leads to repentance. Listen, that's happened to me before, just so everybody knows. I've done that, so whoever, whoever it is, I love you. It's okay. Jesus loves you too. You need to find a millennial who can show you how to turn all that stuff off. <laughs> Godly grief leads to repentance. Godly grief leads to repentance. The, Paul contrasts here worldly grief Godly grief. Worldly grief versus godly grief. What does he say in verse 10? For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation 
what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. You see, worldly grief just wants out of trouble. Worldly grief is sad about the consequences, but not about the action. Worldly grief compares sin. What worldly grief is more worried about the optics of the sin than it is the sin itself. What, what worldly grief starts to want to compare the sin of others rather than just our own sins. But what does godly grief produce? When we're confronted with hard truth, what does the grief that we experience produce? produce it leads to authentic repentance and and here the here's the picture paul paints of godly grief he says it's earnest he says it's earnestness is produced there's a genuineness we're not immediately sort of circling the wagons trying to figure out how to protect ourselves how to protect our reputation no there's a earnestness to make sure there's a urgency in our hearts to say we need to make this right there's an eagerness There's indignation over the fact that you're living in an ungodly way. There's fear of God. There's longing to make things right. There's zeal. And at some point or another, the rubber has to hit the road. When Paul says, what punishment? I think he's talking about the discipline that was carried out in the Corinthian church. Godly grief produces authentic repentance. And authentic godly grief leads to this authentic repentance. And this leads to what Paul calls salvation without regret brothers and sisters we must be the sort of people who encounter god and are have produced in us a godly grief that leads to an authentic repentance i want to ask you this question when was the last time you were broken over your sin when was the last time you grieved over what you did over what you've done over your own sins. Many of us have gotten to a place where our hearts are calloused and hardened to the Lord. We're not grieving over our own sins. Now, we may grieve over the sins of others. We may think long and hard about the sins of others, but we've not had a long, hard look in the mirror in a while. And I want to tell you something. I don't want to encourage you to go to the mirror. Don't go to the mirror, brothers and sisters. Go to the Word. Take a Long, hard look at God and His holiness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Take a good, long, hard look at God and His holiness, and it will produce in us a godly grief over our own sins. We will be like Isaiah, and we will be undone by our own sins. Perhaps we will echo what that great prophet said, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. We are driven to God over the grievousness of our own sin, and we are led to a godly grief that is simply undone before the Lord and asks Him to put us back together again. That leads us to our last point today, and it's this. Christians are repenters. Christians are repenters. Over the years, I've encountered folks who've said things to me like, I've sensed a culture in churches like this. It says, I'm a little nervous to maybe go down to the altar. 
And I don't think you have to go down to the altar to repent, but I think we all have been in times and seasons where we saw people coming to the altar and praying before the Lord. And oftentimes that was a sign that something was going on in their life that they needed to repent of. And, and I've had people say things to me like, I'm kind of afraid to go down there because I'm afraid people will think I've got something to repent of. So I think, you're a Christian. If you don't have anything to repent of, it's because you're not looking. We are repenters. That is what we do. That, that is why we are a people of the cross. You see, nothing can be said about you that's worse than what's already been said, which is the Son of God had to die for you on the cross for your sins. You are a sinner before God, and yet nothing can be said about you that's not better than what's already been said, which is you are loved of God. And if you are in Christ, you have been seated at the right hand of God in Christ and with Christ. We have nothing to lose. And we've already gained everything in Christ. Consider all that Paul went through, and yet what was it that comforted Paul the most? He's got such a burden on his heart for the Corinthian church. And yet if you look at this text, more than once Paul says, we are comforted, we are comforted. We were comforted when we saw Titus. We were comforted when we heard this. What was it that comforted Paul? It was that the Corinthian church had repented. He, he says, we uh, boasted about you to Titus, and now we've not been put to shame in this boasting because of how you acted. In other words, what he's saying is, we told Titus that you're Christians. We told Titus that the work at Corinth was a work of the Spirit, and I was troubled thinking perhaps it wasn't, and yet now I realize it is. I am comforted. Why? Because the Corinthians repented. Paul sees it as a sign of the work of the Spirit. He sees the Corinthians' conversions as authentic. He is comforted despite all that's going on in his life because he looks and recognizes these are people who have repented and Christians are repenters. God's at work in Corinth. We're ever sinners and we are ever repenters if we are in Christ. You know, for all the sham repenting we've seen, we've also seen the real thing. For all the fake stuff I've run across, I've also seen the real thing. And I've never seen anything more beautiful than a Christian on their knees before a holy God in tears, repenting of their sins, and being wrapped up in the arms of God, given His love, treated, like a son you know it's a beautiful thing to be right when we see things that are done right when we see things that are handled right it's so beautiful how much more beautiful is it when we're wrong and we've been made right how much more beautiful is it when things fall apart and God puts them back together repent of your sins brother and sisters for it's the Lord who's leading you there. Perhaps right now you feel so worried, you feel so troubled by it, but it's the Lord who's leading you there. And it's the Lord who's ready to make you whole when you do. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I believe genuinely today, if you've taken a hard look at your sins, and you're grieved by your sins, and you will repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and your wickedness. 
and you turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe He will save you this morning. I believe you will be saved. This altar is open today. If you, if you just simply want to talk to the Lord, or if you want to talk to me about what it means to be a Christian, I'd love to talk to you today. Second of all, you may be a believer. And I'm not trying to manipulate folks into coming down to the altar, but listen, we all know. We all know. We're all sinners here. And if you, if you, if you need... If you want to just make something public, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to stay right where you are and repent there, stay there and repent. But I want you to know, if you need me to pray for you, I'm available for you this morning. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. It's not a perfect church, but First Baptist Church will love you, and we certainly love the Lord and want to introduce you to the Bible every week, do what we can to make a gospel difference in Gazin and beyond. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Pray together. Oh Lord our God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together by God's grace, a room full of sinners. Oh God, but even more importantly, a room full of grace soaked, loved repenters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.